Prepare to turn right. Hey guys, welcome to episode 8 of Prepare to Turn Right. So this is a continuation of episode 7. It's a continuation of this discussion about um, the migrant crisis in Europe. So if you haven't listened to the episode before this, I recommend you go listen to that first. That one talked a lot about the actual journey and the different statistics and the facts about the migration crisis. This one's going to focus more on ramifications and long-term impacts. So yeah, uh, that's all I have to say. Uh, Enjoy the episode. So the first, there's a few like quick points and then a few larger ideas. So first thing I want to talk about is there's this very interesting situation going on in Bulgaria, which like that's not really like a country you would think of as being relevant in this kind of like it's just kind of random but it's just like very interesting what's going on there so there's this militia group actually that is kind of just they see these migrants sneaking through kind of the forest there and they basically just detain them and like see if they have like real papers or if the papers are fake and all things like that and it's very interesting and i think it just kind of highlights one of these ramifications that we see that People are frustrated, and when they feel their government is not doing the job that the government should be doing in regulating migration in a in a efficient way, then sometimes you're going to see civilians take things into their own hands. You're going to see these militia groups start to pop up. Obviously, I don't think that vigilanteism and this whole way of dealing with something is correct, but I think that, unfortunately, people are feeling this pressure on doing something about it themselves, and... There's obviously people who will say this is totally wrong, and then some people will say this is great, and then there's kind of the more nuanced approach, which is that it isn't right, but it teaches us something. It can teach us about, one, what the people are feeling in these countries, and again, Bulgaria is not like the, the height of the crisis. It's just an example of how, yeah, I think ideally we should not just be having militia groups non-official militia groups just going out there and doing this type of thing but it just highlights and speaks to the fact that people are frustrated and that is one ramification is you're going to start seeing civilians and you already have start seeing civilians take it into their own hands and that is not going to end well I do not think so um this really honestly is just representative of the scale of the disaster also so now another ramification we talk about is having unregulated or very loosely regulated migration and just letting people in without thoroughly making sure they are who they say they are, making sure they truly were in danger, they truly have a reason, they cannot go back to where they came from, um, is that you're going to end up having people come in who you maybe don't want in your country, like maybe... Islamists, ISIS. So um, between 2014 and 2018, at least 104 Islamist extremists entered the EU using longhand irregular migration methods, regular ways that these migrants are coming in, establishing proof of concept for a previously theoretical terrorism travel tactic over borders. So 
that doesn't seem like a lot. Like, oh, it's only 104. And first of all, first of all, 104 that we know about. You say, we say the same thing with Mexico. When we say these are the numbers, that is the numbers we are aware of. How many of them snuck in? We have no idea. But even 104, think about it. 104 terrorists. <laughs> One terrorist can do a lot of damage. One ISIS member can do a lot of damage. It only takes one, really, to to carry out a terror attack. So, if these people we know have these views and perhaps have the methods to carry out terror attacks, we need, even if we're letting a few get in, the amount of damage they can cause requires that we need to figure something out and fast because... That's scary. That's a scary thing to think about, that this could be a ramification of your loose policies. They seem all compassionate and nice just letting people into your country, but when you're letting in the wrong people, that can do worlds of damage. That's something to consider. And then let's then go into those 104 that have been recognized and see what the stats are on that. Of the 104 migrant terrorists identified for the 2014 to 2018 period, 28 successfully completed attacks that claimed the lives of 170 victims and wounded ready 878 they wounded more people than they are they kill more people than they are so i think even from a mathematical standpoint that is a net loss for your country that is a net harm for your country but that is crazy that is a massive number and that's with less a little over 100 terrorists and then an additional 37 were arrested or killed, um, were arrested or killed plotting attacks, and 39 others were arrested for Ill- uh, legal involvement with foreign terrorist organizations. So even the ones that didn't actually carry out attacks, a lot of them tried to and were stopped. And then other ones were found plotting with these international terrorist organizations like ISIS. So another point that kind of is ta- attached to this that. We mentioned close to the beginning how like ISIS and Syria, ISIS had kind of been able to infiltrate the conflicts in Iraq and Syria with the whole Arab Spring and the uprisings there. And they kind of started being defeated in these countries. ISIS kind of was being pushed out. So now ISIS kind of feels marginalized in these countries. And I was not saying that like that's a bad thing. Like it's great. I'm not saying like, oh, they're victims. I'm just spitting the fact that like that's the way ISIS feels. So they might genuinely just want to seek refuge too. So they might genuinely feel like they're being oppressed in that country. That does not mean they have any right to get into Europe. So <laughs> that's just something to consider. It's scary. Like it really is scary. Um, I'm not saying that they're the only ones committing crimes in their countries. They're the only violent ones in the countries. Of course not. Violence exists everywhere and every race is responsible for violence. But we need to address root causes and be honest here. And I don't think anyone would say, well, there are people saying this, but it's not as controversial to say lock up murderers. So why is it so controversial to say, let's address the root causes of what's allowing these murderers to come into our country? any European country, any country. So again, it's not about me saying that they're committing more crime than anyone else. It's just about being honest about what is causing it. And it's about the, the, the attitudes that we look at these things with, because why is the, why is the attitude not more strong against, we need to figure out a way to get these people out of this country. If we're going to have a strong anti-crime attitude, that needs to carry over to people coming into this country or coming into any country committing crime as well. And 
the notion that people who come to this country and then commit a crime should not be deported is foolish. No, you don't have a right to be in that country. You don't just automatically get that privilege. No, if you earn that privilege, then you better not mess it up. You better not kill someone. So we, it's just, it doesn't really make any sense when people just say that, well, one, people that say that anyone who draws attention to migrant crime by people like ISIS, anyone who is saying that that is just racist and that, why are you bringing that up when there's so much other crime? That's foolish. And also just anyone who does not agree with this idea that clearly there are root causes that need to be addressed here. So that's just like a side point I wanted to bring in. Just to hammer this point across again. So, of course, not the only one's committing crime, but it's a country's job to do everything that's possible to protect its citizens, right? So if a random French guy stabs someone, we deal with him. It's our burden to bear. He's a French person. Put him in jail in France. We have a justice system that deals with that. So then only only makes sense that when it comes to people who are not part, like are not, we're not born in your country and really are from somewhere else, it then becomes our responsibility as that country to try to get them out of the country because they're not our burden to bear. And if they've lost their right to be in this country, then we kick them out of the country. And again, just to do that, you need to know who's coming into your country. You can't just have these shadow populations. You can't just let in millions of people. And it's a sad reality because there are some people who are suffering around the world who really their lives have been greatly improved in Europe. I'm not saying we should have no migration, but I'm saying no limits and no regulation around this. Just open door policies like Merkel's are going to cause results like this inevitably. So also another ramification is just the economic ramification is how much money countries are investing into taking in more migrants that really there's only of their own citizens who are suffering. So state Germany is an example just because they have been the most liberal when it comes to letting migrants in. So um, it, it by the end of 2020, it's, there was a report that said that 25.7 billion euros, which in American, that's 29.07 billion dollars, would be needed for jobless payments, rent subsidies, and other benefits for recognized asylum applicant, applicants by the end of 2020. That's insane. Do you know how much that, I mean, in, it doesn't seem because, like, you just have um, governments just spending money left and right, but just like I would argue that spending a lot of money on a, something that I don't think that much money should be spent on, I'll say that in anything. I'm not just saying that in terms of migration. So even though in the grand scheme of things, how much money governments spend every year doesn't seem like that much. Still, I would argue that spending large amounts of money on things that I don't think that much money should be spent on when there are your own citizens who are suffering on the streets and instead pouring that much into people who it was not your sworn responsibility when you took office to to help. And of course, I'm not saying no migration. I'm just saying that we need to be conscious of how much money we're spending on a problem when we have other problems that we currently have, not that we're creating by allowing more migrants in. Another 5.7 billion euros would be needed for language courses and 4.6 billion euros would be um, required for measures to help migrants get jobs. 
So it's just you just kind of see how much money is being poured into this. Um, the annual cost of dealing with the refugee crisis would hit 20 20.4 billion euros in 2020, up from around 16.1 billion euros this year. That's also crazy that it's going up. So, and that kind of brings it into another problem is like, why are we writing unemployment checks to these people? Like, can't, can they not get jobs? So the answer is that they are having trouble getting jobs. In 2019 in the EU, foreign-born persons aged 20 to 64 had higher unemployment rates than native-born. So they're having trouble getting jobs. And we're going to have to pay for them, help support them with um, social safety nets and all these different things. And we're just ending up supporting them. We took on that burden and then we're just pouring more money into it. We're creating problems for ourselves. Don't, this is kind of like a general philosophy on migration where people just say, don't take in migrants to when, if there's no like need in the economy for that. So if you have a certain type of job that you need to be filled, then taking in migrants to fill that will then just help create a more healthy economy. But just taking in migrants when you have, they can't find jobs and there's just nowhere to put them, no housing, anything like that, just becomes a problem. you're creating problems for yourself um so the unemployment rate was far more was more than twice that of the native born person so it's 12.3 percent versus six percent um and that's crazy it's just this idea that we're creating problems for ourselves the ramifications of this are not just where do we put them like we have responsibility for our own it's just a practical thing it's just for them even they're not able to find jobs so that's just sad um and that's just like another big thing that people think that it's so kind to let them in and in some cases it is some cases they really do have a better life but one the journey is incredibly strenuous and dangerous so i don't think it's compassionate to tell someone to take that journey i've argued the same thing for the u.s mexico border and besides for that many of them are going to end up suffering in Europe too. And let's say they're an economic migrant. They were doing okay. They knew they had a small business back in their country, but they were just pretty poor. They, they heard so many great things about Europe. They wanted a great, amazing life. They came here and now they're on the streets with no job. You really think it's compassionate to let them in for your, your own citizens, who now there's a growing homeless population, or compassionate to them? The answer is that no. In a lot of these cases, it is not more compassionate to them. So just the unemployment rate highlights that. Another thing we need to talk about is an increase in crime. And this is very controversial. People do not like talking about this um, because it makes it seem like migrants are all criminals. And um, they really, yeah, they're all criminals and it's stereotyping them and it's racist and everyone commits crimes in all races and all demographics. That's all true, of course, that everyone commits crime not it's not just the migrants but again if we're recognizing a problem here we're recognizing a trend here then it is our responsibility or it is any country's responsibility i don't know why i keep saying our to address that root cause right so if the root cause is whoa crime is increasing our migration is increasing maybe there's a connection there we need to examine and maybe there's steps we have to take in order to help Um, ameliorate this problem so um, this is just some stats about germany 
which kind of makes sense. This is a Reuters, again, this is a Reuters article. This is not like conservative, right-wing, nationalist. This is Reuters, okay? I need to just keep saying that because so many of the stats are biased either way. And I want to show that you can make a fully fleshed out argument without touching a conservative source. And I, I do think that like you are totally, you can touch conservative sources, nothing wrong with that. You know, they're going to present a biased opinion, but they're going to pre- present one opinion. I think you should read all opinions. I don't think you, th- this idea that you can just find something where there's no bias that doesn't really make any sense, right? So, um, let's just read some of these stats. Um, violent crime rose by about 10% in 2015 and 2016. It attributed more than 90% of that to young male refugees. Wow. So, from 2015 to 2016, right at the height of this crisis, violent crime rose by 10%, and more than 90% of that they attributed to young male refugees. So, let's just be honest with ourselves. Let's not play games. Let's not do, oh, but I don't even know what you would say. Stats pretty much speak for themselves. But let's be honest. If you have an increase in crime, and 90% of that increase is attributed to a certain population you wouldn't if you're a rational person people who have agendas will have agendas if you are a rational person your response wouldn't be oh every single person in this certain group is bad or oh we need to eradicate this certain group from our population it would be let's examine that let's maybe think about if there's a reason for that and think of if we need to change our approach to dealing with this issue that's the rational thing here's something very interesting from this article it noted that migrants coming from war-torn countries, places like Syria, they were less likely to commit violent crimes from people who were coming from places where they weren't as like war-torn, they weren't as likely to get asylum. So that's interesting because that makes you think that people who know, I guess, that they have a good chance of staying as long as they behave, are more likely to behave, and people who... Um, people who really don't really feel like they have a chance will then just go out and commit crime which is interesting just to think about um if those stats really indicate that um i don't really have any bigger point to say about that i just think that's interesting um this also makes sense the government-sponsored study showed a jump in violent crime committed by male migrants age 14 to 30 that makes sense like it's the younger migrants male that no one's shocked by that um and this, this really, I found this really, really fascinating ar- article, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think I just think this article is really interesting. And another thing that's interesting that I picked up on was you see kind of the same, um, the same root causes. And I'm not like, a, oh, root causes, don't put them in jail, give them therapy. I'm not from that, <laughs> I feel like that that camp at all, like not in the slightest. But I just think obviously we have to examine root causes doesn't mean I don't think they should be deported or put in jail. Um, it just means I think it's something interesting to consider. That the same root causes are going are appearing. You're basically setting up a lot of these migrants who have these tendencies, who are more likely to commit crime, let's say, like, in their population, for failure, basically. Because if we think of all the things that are going to cause crime, it's going to be not having a family, you know, being from, like, a broken home, not having a job, not having money, not having a home um feeling hopeless mental health issues all of those can kind of lead to 
people, certain people committing crime. So what are you setting up these migrants, especially these North African migrants who are not from places as much that are as violent? So, for example, someone, for example, someone from Syria is going to be less likely to commit crime because they kind of know they have a good shot at staying in Europe. They want to behave. But also that gives them the sense of hope, whereas people from places where um, we a lot of them are not going to be granted asylum because they're not from places where it is deemed that they're running away from conflict as much as let's say some sort of other oppression or a bad economy which I'm not saying those aren't invalid reasons I'm just saying you have to prioritize the most vulnerable of course when we're deciding who gets to stay so these migrants are kind of coming in and feeling like they're in this limbo losing hope a lot of them are coming without family that and not finding a job not having any money we're setting a lot of them up for failure. So I think if we can prioritize who we can actually support, who can find a job, who um, who can yeah, get a job, who can find housing, who um, maybe people coming with families, people who we can set them up for success instead of failure. And a lot of that's going to be determining who we're letting in. And it's not racist. It's not um oppressive to not let everyone in is just being realistic about who we can support and then as a result of that i think maybe we can actually improve this crime this um improve this drastic crime increase that is happening because of these migrants who are being set up to fail it's just an interesting thing i think you can think about um yeah it's just something i'm just thinking of right now um yeah, so let's continue, and kind of more things in this study are going to prove what I'm saying. The study said reuniting refugees with their families by allowing them to come to Germany, too, could help reduce violence. So that's a nice idea. The way that Reuters is framing this is kind of insinuating we should just allow more migration. I think it should be an instead of, not both. I don't think these countries have the resources to support both. So maybe let's prioritize families over single individuals. Or prioritize people who have a family they want to bring in versus just lone wolves. So I think that's interesting. That's an interesting idea, right? And I'm not trying to pretend this is a simple fix. I'm just suggesting that maybe this has to be thought of. That maybe these people who just are going to let everyone in have these open door policies need to consider the ramifications of that. So that's interesting. Um, okay. So, and here's just kind of an interesting phraseology here. Um, the predominantly young male majority of refugees live in Germany without partners, mothers, sisters, or other females whom the study sees as violence-preventing civilizing force. A, a violence-preventing civilizing force. That's interesting. I like that. Um, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there, I think. Yeah, families in general. But having a woman to kind of be that voice of reason to control more violent and, um, like, I guess, anger-kind-of-prone tendencies. Of course, no one would, I mean, maybe the feminists, but people with common sense would understand that, obviously, <laughs> having a partner is a good thing, <laughs> um, putting it very simply. But I, I, hope, I just think this study kind of, almost inevitably provides a suggestive solution so i'm just gonna leave that there let's get into another example of some of the crime sweden in 2019 um 
the bomb squad there was called to deal with 97 explosions in the first nine months of the year. How does that happen? So this article made me very frustrated, this BBC article. They were kind of like dancing around the issue without actually saying it because they're pretty left-wing. Everything is nowadays. Um, that isn't explicitly right-wing, um, which is kind of frustrating. But um, this article was kind of dancing around the issue and saying it wasn't migration, but kind of inept, kind of indirectly through saying it wasn't migrants, said it kind of was the migrants. Police say that, who's so who is doing this, right? Who are make, having these bombs go off? So police say the criminals involved are part of gangs um, who are behind the same people who were behind the increase in gun crime there, connected to the drug trade. And we just see this increase where Sweden saw 45 deadly shootings in 2018 compared to 17 in 2011. So here's the key. Here's the real issue. Let me just redirect from the article. Swedish police do not record, record or release the ethnicity of suspects or convicted criminals, but Intelligence Chief Linda H. Straff says many do share a similar profile. They have grown up in Sweden, and they are from socioeconomically weak groups, um, socioeconomically weak areas, and many are perhaps second- or third-generation immigrants. So this kind of highlights a few things I want to point out. One, why are you not recording the ethnicity? I get, I understand, of course, why should it matter? But it does because if you are having, and this is going to be a huge thing we're going to talk about in a minute, these migrants are not integrating well. Studies suggest that governments are admitting that they're not integrating well. They're staying closed off in their own communities, right? So if you then have a closed off community and reporting the ethnicity or the race could be an aid in determining if someone is from one of those closed off communities, you can then indirectly cause a, like shed light on maybe some of the problems in that community that's why like of course I would never like say black people in America are violent like, are a violent group of people and that they're committing all this crime and it's bad look at the stats I would say that knowing the stats and knowing that black people commit a lot of crime in this country it's not me saying Every single or even most black people are like that because most are not. Most are not committing crimes. But noticing that they are committing more than you would expect and that mo a lot of them are living in these inner city majority black communities can then help me realize that, oh, maybe there are some root problems in this community that we can then work on fixing. So seeing the stats is not me stereotyping that group of people is not me saying they're all evil all criminals it's not saying that at all it is simply helping me recognize that maybe there are some root causes that have to be addressed here so it's the same thing here i get why you're not wanting to record the ethnicity because you don't want to cause racist kind of things to pop up and people to kind of assume things but you're inevitably or kind of indirectly causing a problem not to be solved because by not indicating if they're from this closed-off, unintegrated community, you're completely not allowing the public or the government to see that there are root causes that may, may be stemming from these communities. So I just think that's something very important to point out. So the next point is it's saying most of them are born in Sweden, but they're like poor in poorer areas. And then here's the key. It says that a lot of them are from second and third or maybe second or third generation immigrants which is interesting because that you're seeing how if a lot of them are tied to this first of all 
we don't know um, if that's a suggestion, but we have no, they're not releasing a lot of this information. But if these communities are staying unintegrated for so long to the point where you then have this second generation, let's say um, they came at the early end of this migrant wave before even the peak of the crisis, and they're still in these integra- unintegrated communities, that just highlights the problem even more. Highlights how they're staying in these cycles of poverty and homelessness and not being integrated if these issues are still existing two, three generations later. And I think if we just wait long enough, we're going to see the problem might actually get worse as the peak of the wave has their own children in the coming years. So that's just something to consider is that root causes are incredibly important to examine here. So the next point, ideological debates about immigration have identified since Sweden um, took in the highlighted, sorry, I'm not wearing my glasses. I cannot see one thing. A lot of times I've been like stopping or like whatever. It's just because I literally can't see. Um, (laughs) I should do something about that. Um, Sorry, let me just read this closer. Ideological debates about immigration have intensified since Sweden took in the highest number of asylum seekers per capita in the EU during the migrant event crisis of, sorry, red crisis event, I cannot see, crisis of 2015. So then this person says, it's not correct to suggest that arrivals are typically involved in gang gang networks. How would you know if you aren't recording the races and recording this type of information? So who am I to believe you when even the government won't release that information? I'll believe you when I see the stats. But even if you were to suggest that, well, first of all, it kind of went against what it said earlier because it said that a lot of them were second and third generation migrants. But it's oh my god, it's just it's so frustrating when they just like say, oh, it's not correct to assume this. Where is your information? Where are your stats to back that up? Huh? You don't have any. You're just saying that because you think you can get away with saying that where are your stats okay so then kind of what this idea behind is that it has to do more with income and social status i'm not arguing it's because of their race i'm i there is something to say about culture and about what is the cultural norms in a place where you live um and we're going to talk about that in just a minute um like literally like in two seconds we're going to talk about i think i'm checking it's next to my notes but the idea that the culture you grew up in and the social norms can influence behavior of course um morality is not relative guys more relativism is a sham is not it doesn't make any sense i'm just put that out there um but even if you were to argue that that's not a factor and it was just um it was just social and income and security and all that type of thing still who we see already there's much a much higher rate of migrants who are in that situation and are not integrating and are being stuck on the streets so we're creating a problem perpetuating a cycle it's a mess so let's get into the next point um that um, also, the article, oh, this is one more thing I want to mention. The article says that most of this, like, crime is taking place in the suburbs of big cities, which are, a lot of them are migrant communities. So, like, you're not reporting the race, but you're also kind of saying that maybe race has something, not race has something to do with it, but that maybe there is some kind of trend in the races. So, let me just point that out. Um, okay. Next thing we need to discuss we need to just talk for a little bit about more about this not being integrated thing that 
these migrants are coming these migrants are coming and they're not integrating into society they're forming their own little communities and they're staying in those communities and that is a problem and i'm going to discuss why so this first article i want to look at Reuters is pulling through they aren't always giving me exactly what i want but i'm just trying to show that you can pull together these articles without looking specifically for the source that you know will give you what you want not saying there's something wrong not there's anything wrong with like oh i want to see what the conservatives say so let me look at that and then use that to then help form my opinion but i'm just saying that it's especially effective in a debate to not allow them to throw at you but you're only using conservative bias sources you can say no i'm not you know so this is this is writers direct quote sweden has failed to integrate the vast numbers of immigrants it has taken in over the past two decades leading to parallel societies that's strong language um, and gang violence prime minister magdalena anderson said on thursday this is an article by the way from um 2022 last year um as she launched a series of initiatives to combat organized crime so so you're gonna tell me that in a lot of these places the gangs have nothing to do with immigration and then in some places they're openly admitting that it has everything to do with immigration like i don't know like it seems like it might have something to do with immigrants and that there might be a lot of immigrants in the crimes in these gangs and i'm not saying that as a larger point about immigrants being inherently violent i'm just saying we need to examine the facts as they are and examine root causes so clearly there's a connection here and that that the key phrase i want to discuss there is that parallel societies they're not integrating and that's going to tie into the later point about what what, what are the societies they're coming from and they're keeping that same mindset coming to this country so but basically what the prime minister said was segregation has been and that's also an important term has been allowed to go so far that we have parallel societies in sweden we live in the same country but in completely different realities wow um the number of people in sweden born abroad basically migrants has doubled in the last two decades to two million one fifth of the swedish population was not born in sweden I'm not saying that as we need to stop migration. I'm just saying that is something we need to examine when we talk about these increases in crime. Correlation does not mean causation, but it certainly indicates that maybe you should look into that further. So, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, let's look at another article. Merkel says German, and this is Merkel. Keep in mind, this is the woman who had an open door policy who let in more migrants than any other country in the EU. This is the same Merkel. Merkel says the German multicultural society has failed. So attempts to build a multicultural society in Germany have utterly failed. Strong language, Chancellor Angela Merkel said. She said this so-called multiculti, which is, I don't know if I pronounced that right. I'm sorry. Basically, this idea that people can just live side by side happily, that did not work. Immigrants need to, this is her saying this. This is not a right wing person. I mean, she's kind of right. She's like, she's kind of middle but like squishy does that make sense um so and she led in all these migrants so for her to come back and then say that what she did failed clearly it was a problem that was so evident that she needed to address it okay um did not work and immigrants needed to do more to integrate including learning german they aren't even learning german they're just creating their own mini let's say a mini whatever country it is in the country that they're coming to um and then the next 
part of the article says the comments come amid rising anti-immigrant um, immigration feeling in Germany. No, duh. Yeah, of course she's saying that and you're tying that to this anti-immigration sentiment, but it's just honesty. She's saying that what has happened is that is that integration um, has failed. And instead, these two groups are being segregated, the immigrants from the regular population. She's just saying that as a fact. So then saying that, oh, that's anti-immigrant, it's not anti-anything to state the truth without any narrative around it, right? She is saying the fact, saying that black people commit more crime per, per their, um, like, ratio, per their, like, percentage of the population. That's a fact. Me then going on to say black people are violent, black people, that is part of a narrative, right? And that is part of something that is not true. But stating a fact cannot it's not tied into anything it's just her saying what she's what's been a blaring problem that everyone knows and everyone in germany was thinking about so um just to prove that a recent survey suggested more than 30 percent of people believe the country was overrun by foreigners that is a lot of people to to subscribe their thoughts to the language overrun by foreigners um also it's just crazy um Sorry, I'm trying to, like, just read. Like, when, when I stop sometimes, it's just because I literally cannot read what I wrote because I'm not wearing my glasses. I literally can't see. And it's typed. It's not even my handwriting. I just... Okay, that's better. Oh, I like that angle. Okay, um, now I can see. The study by um, the Friedrich Ebert Foundation Think Tank also showed that roughly the same number, so around 30%, thought that some 16 million of Germany's immigrants or people with foreign origins had come to the country for its social benefits. So people also are thinking... They're just taking advantage of our resources and that none, a lot of them are not here because they literally just needed a safe place to go. So that's something else. That, it's kind of interesting because um, you see people bring up the same argument with people who are coming from countries um, and coming to the U.S., like from South America and Central America, um, because Southern Mexico is fairly safe. More than Mexico is a disaster run by the cartels, but Southern Mexico, there are parts of it that are fairly quiet and safe. So the question is, why do so many of them come all the way up to the U.S. and don't, why don't a lot of them, I mean, some of them do, but why do a lot of them not just stay in these kind of sleepy towns in southern Mexico and just farm, whatever? Because a lot of them are economic migrants looking for the social benefits the U.S. provides. I'm not saying all of them. Some of them genuinely are skipping persecution, but a lot of them the question just comes up, you know, why are they coming all the way when there are safe places like Southern Mexico before the U.S.? So it's just like a question to consider. And that can, of course, cause frustration for people who feel like they're just being taken advantage of. Um, okay, the next thing I'm going to talk about, oh my gosh, is like, is so controversial and so like disputed that you genuinely cannot find any reliable sources because everyone is just saying one thing versus another thing it's just yes there is no go zones no there is not no go zones this paper says this but this organization says that and anyone who says that there are is spreading right-wing racist um nationalists white supremacists nonsense or anyone who says there aren't has just not been there and it's not looking at the facts you can't find of that I generally just want to go there and just see for myself because I mean people have but you're also getting people have who will come away with one one idea people who have who will come away with the other 
So I've determined that the only solution here is that neither is correct. <laughs> That's just like my own very narrow-minded way of looking at things. Like I'm very limited, of course, but I think that must be the only logical solution at this point is that neither solution is correct and I found some evidence to support that so that's what we're going to go through here I've never heard anyone reference this information except for this article that I found because no one wants to make it nuanced no one wants nuance for this for some reason I think it's because it's very like emotional very like highlights the problem so it's very if you're going to dispute it you can then use that to be like look at them just making things up to help their point and then if you're the other side you can use that to perfectly help your point so I think nuance isn't so I guess rhetorically helpful but it's necessary <laughs> so um let's let's just get into the facts actually the facts right the undisputed not a narrative let's get into the undisputed facts so this idea of a no-go zone is that there are some places in these countries that have taken in a lot of immigrants like um Germany Sweden France where basically French people or Germans or Swedes, people from the country, cannot go. They've just been overrun by just the migrants who are, and this is not me saying this is what it is, this is me saying what people say that it is, um, who it's just a, like a crime-ridden zone, you'll get attacked, you get stones thrown at you, you'll get stabbed, um, there's no police presence, the police can't get in, they won't do anything about it, basically you don't go there, essentially. So I've discovered through my research that I believe that it's probably not as extreme as people make it out to be, but suggesting that there is no concept similar to this at all is also false. So what I have found, I'm going to use Sweden in 2019 as an example. So in 2019, um, there were 60 quote vulnerable areas or quote especially vulnerable areas those are two distinct categories in Sweden so a vulnerable area is this is like the actual word for a definition the Swedish authorities have provided um, a geographically defined area characterized by a low socioeconomic status where criminals have an impact on the local community so basically a place that's a specific like location where um, there's it's a very poor area where criminals are impacting the the welfare of the community okay um especially vulnerable areas it's characterized by social issues and a criminal presence which has led to a widespread disinclination to participate in the judicial process and difficulties that for the police to fulfill their missions so basically what it's kind of saying here is you can see how these words could be twisted either way you could see how people would say oh no these are not no-go zones. Anyone could go there. There's just a lot of crime, but like there's a lot of crime in everywhere. Like any country, it doesn't matter, immigrant or no immigrant, there's going to be a lot of crime. And then um, they also, they can add to their argument that these areas actually have a higher police presence, but the police just get attacked more. There's more threats, more vandalism, stone throwing at police cars, things like that, which makes police often kind of more hesitant to do their job or makes them make sure they have like backup or a good exit plan if they need to get out, if like they're being attacked by the population there. Um, so you can see how people could say, what are you saying? There's no police there. What are you saying that um, regular people can't go there. It's just like going to any high crime area, or they might even not want to admit that. There are definitely people who won't admit that. Um, you can see how the other side could then say, you're literally saying no-go zone without saying no-go zone. Police, um, these people don't want to engage in the judicial system, don't want to engage with law enforcement, and there's a lot of crime. So they're saying it's essentially kind of like a no-go zone. So I would argue that it's kind of in between. 
Um, so just like some stats on the numbers in 2015, there are 53 of these, um, either like vulnerable or extremely vulnerable areas. 2019, there were 60. So that's a bit of an increase. Um, so yeah, I think it just needs to be more nuanced with everything that I've said that there's just, there needs to be some nuance here. So yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about that. Um, I mean, not just that article, I mean, like, just that piece of information, so people saying that it's one thing or the other thing need to just have some nuance. Let's look at another article that kind of just shows the general bias in the popular, in, in the, the narrative, um, either side, so there's, this is a Guardian article from 2017 no go zone for women because people will specifically bring up like oh it's for women that like when woman if you're not like dressed in full hijab then you shouldn't go in this area because you'll be attacked so again I don't think that it's like that clear cut (laughs) maybe there's an increased danger so again that's kind of where I'm drawing this like pulling both sides and saying how there's kind of nuance to this um some blame migrants for the harassment of women in the La Chapelle Pajol neighborhood um others and this is in paris others cry racism but has all the political mudslinging distracted from the real issue of women's safety i don't really need to read any more of the article because it's just like goes on to describe like things women are facing in these areas and how whatever i just wanted to bring up one point that i just like read the article and i just like kind of laughed to myself um but has all this political mudslinging distracted from the real issue of women's safety so it's always kind of this flaw of like let's look at the floaty conceptual idea and address that without actually looking at the facts on the ground. It's like, I don't know why, like there's this point that I always think about. It's totally 1000% unrelated to anything about um, anything that I'm saying right now. It's just like the way that this is from Michael Knowles. I'm sure you all know who he is. Um, the way that like he says it just like always is in my head. I don't know why. Again, totally unrelated. He talks about how people will say that the cause of the civil war is states rights again this floaty idea and he's like states rights to do what like obviously the answer is own slaves and it's just like women's safety from what right women's safety it's all about just we need to discuss women's safety but let's look at the facts on the ground what is harming women's safety if you can't address that you're just completely missing the point so um I just need to bring up that that's one way to spot bias in your in an article just this floaty idea without actually addressing any real any real concrete things I just thought I would bring that up um yeah who's doing the harassing like stop I wrote in my notes I wrote let's be honest and stop beating around the bush so yeah that's all I have to say about that um just in summary of the whole no-go zone issue because I really could spend pages and pages on it oh look at that I spent more pages on it um Okay, so I guess I'm not done. I thought I was done. I guess I'm not because my notes go on for another half page. So I'm just going to read what I said here. It seems even those who say there are no-go zones admit there is a problem. Sorry, there there are no no-go zones. It seems even those who say there are no no-go zones admit there is a problem. They just don't agree with the imagery that those words invoke. So they just don't agree with the imagery of what a no-go zone looks like when you think about it, right? That like, you can't go in, you're immediately going to be stabbed. It's dangerous. You're immediately going to have rocks thrown at you or be beaten up or attacked. Um, so they don't like that imagery, so they won't use the words no-go zone. So I think kind of what I'm in this. Oh, I love this point. Ugh, you know when you, like, think of a connection between something and you're like, that is such a good point, Essie. Um, Not to toot my own horn, but I like what I say here. So I, Because I think about this concept a lot. 
um, that when the right, because the left is going to be dishonest. I'm not talking to the left here because it's not, I'm not on the left. So it's not my responsibility to make sure the left is honest, right? Because that's not my job. My job, I mean, I don't have a job, <laughs> like meaning I feel a responsibility to encourage the right to be more honest. I don't care what the left does because I'm not in the left, right? So I think it's the responsibility of the right to be honest about what's actually happening. The left isn't going to be honest. They aren't being honest with it. The right isn't either. But I think that we have to try to not exaggerate this. People often feel that exaggerating will help get your point across more. But exaggerating is actually going to harm if you really care about the issue and not just your narrative. If you really want to be honest about the issue, exaggerating is actually going to harm more people. Because when you, t- when you exaggerate something too much... No one cares about it anymore. Everyone just disregards it and says, oh, like, please. Like, no, go zone. Oh, that's just a right-wing myth. So then you're going to cause people to, like, really not fully understand it and cause more harm to people. And it's kind of the same idea that when everything is racist, nothing is racist. This is obviously on the side of the left. When the left says, this is racist, that is racist, this is whatever, then it actually detracts from the real problem of there are still some, I would argue few, But there are still some instances of racism in this country. It is never going to be a totally eradicated problem. So by saying everything is racist, you're detracting from actual racism. Exaggerating hurts the actual cause. It helps your point. So if you care about only your point and only your narrative and only the political side of it and not the actual real life um, ramifications on the ground, then of course, that's great. Go ahead, exaggerate. I don't care. If you actually care about the issue being solved, you would stop exaggerating it. So, I just need to give an example of this. Bringing my girl, Lauren Southern. She is so cool. So, this I just, like, thought this story just perfectly. Like, she just, like, went on a whole, like, rant about it. And she, like, explained, like, the political, like, ramifications of exaggeration, which was so fascinating. Um, Basically, what she says is she has this video basically talking about her political journey, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. She has this whole video basically about her political journey. And she tells a story about basically proving the point that when you exaggerate, you're harming people. So she says that she was like getting an Airbnb for something. I don't know what she was like getting like some kind of Airbnb. I don't know exactly what it was. I don't really remember the details. I should have watched it back, but something like that. Or like, I think it was like an Airbnb, but it was like type. It was like a room in the house. So like the person who like owned the house was like still there. It was just like a rented room or something like that. And then she got there and she was like in the room or whatever and was like this guy and he like came in he like kind of like asked her like to sleep with him and she like was totally blindsided she obviously like she just like got out of there but she was like confused she was like this type of thing happens like whoa and why did she think that because she was so used to just hearing this feminist argument of everything is sexist and oh it's such every women can't even step foot outside without being harassed and blah 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 blah, and exaggerating basically and it ends up then causing people to think the issue does not exist at all and then um they'll end up going through the world with that naive approach and that naivete can then have real world consequences for them so it's just interesting to think about that exaggerating an issue helps your point but hurts the cause or not sorry helps your point and kind of helps the cause it hurts real people and it hurts the actual issue being solved so because feminism exaggerated so much 
no one took the actual issues that do exist seriously. So because we exaggerate the idea of no-go zones on the right so much, and I'm not afraid to call out the right, guys, do not be afraid to call out and criticize your own side because it's not about your side. It's about getting to the truth and solving problems and standing up for what you believe is right, regardless of what the mainstream conservatives are saying. Because conservatives are exaggerating no-go zones a little bit, because I think I don't think everyone's doing it so intentionally because you exaggerate you cause the actual problems to go unaddressed and people to just go the opposite direction and say it doesn't exist it never happens nothing like this is real so you're really just causing harm um just thought i would say that um okay so let's uh move on because i think i got kind of like a little heated there so now we need to talk about um one kind of separate thing um which i don't even have to address so much i think it's obvious but i mean apparently it's not so like why are there no-go zones like not no-go zones but why are there areas i guess not what i'm asking is not about no-go zones i'm asking why is there so lack of integration why are the migrants not able to properly integrate into german society or swedish society or um or french society why are they not able why do they have such trouble integrating into society right so the answer partially is besides for the homelessness besides for the economy because they're coming from societies so very different from our own so they're just not changing anything and they end up just kind of creating their own communities similar to the societies that they're from if you're from a society similar to the society you're going to it's much easier to integrate because they're coming from such as different societies than having trouble than acclimating to something so radically different so anyone who says that societal before i talk about just the effects of these societal differences more specifically anyone who says that there's no societal differences between the western world and the arab countries is just frankly being dishonest with themselves or others and they know they're being dis- they are they know themselves what the truth is it's we know the attitudes in these countries toward many issues are different again if you claim otherwise you're just being dishonest don't even try to pretend um this reminds me i don't know like why this reminds me of this but um there's like this very famous like bell hadid quote or like she basically is like saying in a bunch of articles that she wishes she had grown up um in a muslim society like she like wishes she had had that opportunity because like they're like arab whatever um she like says she's muslim but like i don't really know whatever um so she wishes she had basically grown up like in an arab country essentially is what she's saying or like a muslim society and i question just is like i think i met i think i said this to someone at the time um that just imagine the way that they dress if they got dropped into a muslim country i don't think it would go so well for them so like it's kind of just plays into this idea that like people like to just like assume there's no issues in these countries but then, uh, really, <laughs> that's just because they aren't in them, right? Like, any woman coming from that country, not, like, meaning ones who are out of it, ones who were part of it, and then now, like, someone like Anne Hersey Ali, we're going to discuss later, who are now on the outside, can now see how radically different the societies are. You can't deny there are differences, and... I just like just made me laugh when I heard her say that it's like don't be dishonest like do not pretend that you could have the career that you have in a country like that don't pretend 
and you're just being dishonest if you if you genuinely like are saying that um another point um that I saw and I just think about this article a lot I would love to like send it out um if I can find it again because I remember reading the article at the time and felt feeling like it so encapsulated the cultural difference because I was reading tons of articles with the whole Afghanistan debacle and reading articles about the ramifications of a Taliban takeover and again Taliban that's a Islamist group so that is an Islamist controlled country now as opposed to one that is not controlled by Islamists and just one of the big issues that was coming up was like marrying off children right because if you can get a guy to pay you because you don't have any food and you'll just send give him your daughter who's like 10 and marry her, her off to him because you need money it just like represents such a totally different culture and obviously like I'm not a moral relativist so I think that's objectively wrong moral relativists can you defend that is that defend defensible I don't think it is but I mean uh, moral relativists will go far to say to argue moral relativism but um anyways assuming that you're not a moral relativist it just totally shows just the different attitude that is that it's not even a question and of course there are instances where it happens but you cannot deny the difference in scale and the common commonality I think that's a word um the commonality of these instances it's just crazy um so just like I thought about that and I just like thought that like exemplified the differences um now here is the real thing where people start to get a little nervous because I and her CLE can be kind of polarizing but I think that she should not be and I think she's really just saying the truth so I found this article she wrote a book um called Prey uh, about just the impact that immigration has had on women in Europe and I didn't read the book but I read like a transcript of an interview she had about the book I don't know why I didn't just listen to the interview but I read a transcript with the Hoover Institute about this book and um I just want to like read some quotes from this um sometimes where it's the person who interviewed her Peter Robinson like quoting her book so I'm gonna read some quotes from that and then also some quotes that she says in the interview so Peter Robinson is quoting her book he says in my life meaning I on her CLE's life I have experienced sexual discrimination harassment and violence that are commonplace in the Muslim majority countries I have also on more than one occasion had to fend off the unwanted attentions of sexually overbearing western men I can tell you which problem is worse and that's a quote from the book. And then he asks her, which problem, Ayan? Um, and she basically says, like, obviously, you cannot, like, compare the different cultures. You cannot compare um, things I've experienced um, under, from, like, Islam. And she's not Islam anymore. She's not Muslim anymore. Um, from the things that I've experienced in the Western world. She says you can't compare the two. And she definitely has a lot of ethos as a source for this kind of discussion. Um, because she's talked very openly about how she's a victim of FGM, female genital mutilation, which is a very common practice in these countries. She's from Somalia, so that would be a country where this type of thing goes on. And just kind of gives her credibility, I guess, to say things like that. Um, let's just get into the stats now, because she talks a lot about, like, in her interviews, which I've listened to, like, a ton of them, her podcasts, like, tons of stuff. I want to get her book. I should do that. Um, but... She talks a lot about how it's so hard to find these stats because one of you places like Sweden where they aren't even recording the, the race, and they said she said it's so hard to find people who will give her the stats that she's looking for. Like they're so hush about it and they won't tell her anything. So she said she went to politicians and had to really get 
any stats she could and she was working it took tons of research and teams to research with her and it was not like easy to just google these stats and find them so but just the stats from the book um that she got from different sources like they're not like things you would probably find in a mainstream since they've looked it up but she's getting them from politicians she's not asking around on the street she's getting them from politicians they're just not sources that are easy to attain and I trust her I think she's a reliable source if you don't then great you don't have to take anything from these stats I'm gonna read them because they're in the book and they mention them in this interview France had a 17%, so her thing is about, like, women's issues, whatever. Um, France has a 17% increase in rates from 2017 to 2018. Um, Germany, um, oh, in Germany, it's the same thing with victims of rape and sexual coercion. Um, and it's kind of hard to, like, read straight from this transcript because, like, it's word for word what was said, so it's, like, double words, things like that. I'm going to try. We can, you write about how difficult it is to figure out quite what's happening in these statistics, but it's a category that the Germans have created called sexual coercion. These victims have risen by 41% in 2017 alone, so that's a 41% increase in 2017 with Germany, um, from, with sexual coercion, which is like a German category. We don't really like have something like so clearly defined like that. Sweden had a 12% increase in reported sex offenses in 2016. You may also note a sharp increase in sexual crimes in England and Wales. Um, young Muslim male, and then this is kind of what he says, what the person interviewing her says, young Muslim, and he kind of questions her on this, which is interesting. Young Muslim males arrive and sexual crimes increase. Oh, is it as simple as that? It, um, is that its causation is direct as that? So basically he's asking her, you're linking that to the young Muslim men, but is correlation causation? Can you just say, because they came in during these years, that the crime can be attributed to them? He questions her on that. And she gives a really great answer, I thought. She says, no, it's not as simple. It's not as simple as that. And causation is absolutely not... Oh, I just lost my spot. And Croatian is not... And causation is absolutely not as direct as that. And there was a lot of sexual violence and misconduct against women going on before the influx of, say, 2015. So she's acknowledging it's not so simple. But then she says... Um, so the first thing is, it's not true that all of the new arrivals engage in any kind of misconduct, sexual or otherwise. So again... It's a relatively small group that is responsible for these various crimes. There are also, this is the second point that I make in the book, there are also immigrants or the children of immigrants from Muslim-majority countries who are already residing in these countries that are responsible for a large portion of these types of crimes. And she gets that data from politicians. She's acknowledging it's not, oh, they come in and then automatically the crime goes up. She's saying no. A lot of it is not direct, but it... Okay, one, it's one, it's a very small category. It's also a lot of second and third generation. So she's not making a point that would be the best rhetorical point to make if you didn't care about lying, that it is as simple as that, with correlation and causation. She's honest, and she says that a lot of it probably is not just so simple. But she says that we can't just deny, you know, the reality that there's something going on here. And, yeah, that's... um. Yeah, and then she kind of just talks a little bit about how hard it is to find this data, which just kind of shows how these countries are covering up this problem. Um, with um, Okay, I mean, any of these countries, they have resources for doing this type of research, but because they've got their hands tied with all those fears about what could happen if we found out about the truth, I think that is really why the data gathering has become difficult. The data gathering itself is politicized, which is a great point that why are these stats so hard to find? One, because if there is no, nothing to hide, they wouldn't hide it. So like clearly there is something going on here, but also it's so politicized. It becomes such a politicized issue. Why has, 
say this everywhere, but why is public safety so politicized? Why is not releasing crime stats? Why is that politicized? Because of course it's going to feel narratives. But let it feel any narrative. People will take things and make it shaped to their narrative no matter what. So release the data. Why is this so hard to find? And she just kind of says that really nice. They then go on to talk about Cologne, which is a very famous like archetype example of this issue. It's like the most famous example of the repercussions in terms of violent crime, um, particularly against women, in Europe as a result of these policies. And um, I really, I don't need to go into any graphic detail, but essentially on New Year's Eve, I need to just get this link so I can find specific stats. Sorry, give me a minute here. Um, so this is a BBC article from 2016. Basically, um, the mayor clone has summoned police for crisis talks after about 80 women reported sexual assaults and muggings. By, ooh, just article came up. Um, um, and muggings by men on New Year's Eve. So basically, um, the scale of the attacks on women at the city's central railway station. There's basically this big New Year's Eve party in Cologne, Germany. Um, New Year's like Eve 2015 to 2016, right? Like December to January. Um, about 1,000 drunk and aggressive young men were involved. That's a lot of people. Um, and then there were other smaller attacks in different parts of the country and even in other countries, but mostly it was just um, mostly it was just um, in Cologne. Like, that's, like, if you Google it, like, there's tons of articles. Like, this is, like, the most famous example that is given. Um, and kind of it just shocked the country and the world, really, because it was, like, no one ever really, like, like, I mean, I guess feminists would argue that, like, yeah, this everything happens all the time. Like, women are so unsafe. This is not normal. That does not just happen in one night. That many ca- that doesn't just happen in one place at one time. Like, it just doesn't. So, that's kind of, like, a little bit uh, concerning. And I'm not saying that, yeah, if we have migrants come in, this is what's going to happen. And it's a direct result. And you have to stop letting the migrants in. And they're all violent. No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that this is something that has to be examined. And this case can't just teach us nothing, right? Clearly, there's a problem here. So uh, let's just be honest and not beat around the bush, which just frustrates me so much. And people just won't let the facts bring them where they bring them. Um, so then they talk about like this incident, like in the interview, um, Peter Robinson, person interviewing her, her, her says, and the mayor of Cologne seems to dismiss it, um, to be dismissive in at least one remark. The police response is slow and spotty, and the Europeans, how can it be when, when Ayan comes along and starts asking questions, the official response is, in effect, stop asking these questions. Basically, she says, like, in her book, and she says, like, in, our, in interviews, that when she starts asking questions about the de- details of this, and again, all these, like, attackers were described as, like, gangs of Muslim, like, Muslim, like, Ar- Arab, like, men, like, migrants, basically, um, even though, like, the no, it's hard, like, people will report that, but, like, people don't want to admit it, um, but, yeah, so, basically, she says when she starts asking questions, they, s- they say, like, stop asking us questions, because they know how bad this makes them look, so we just have to be honest, like, covering it up it's just going to be people more angry. So let's be honest. Let's say that, yeah, there's a problem here because they're coming from radically different cultures and they grew up with no consequences for this type of behavior generally. So there's going to be more of it. This doesn't mean that they're all bad. It just means that it's logical to say that there's going to be some kind of issue, even if it's not 
as large scale as some people would say or as it's bigger than people would say whatever just denying that the issue exists is not going to make it go away it's going to make people more angry and want to search for truth even more people like Anne her coe are going to come up and they're going to find the answers that you won't give them um okay um just one point that I, do i say this do i not this is really controversial oh this is interesting i'll say this and then i'll get to the controversial thing that Ayan then compares it to the famous Lara Logan assault, which was, Lara Logan was, like, a reporter. She still is a reporter, um, but she's kind of gone off the, like, radical right wing, like, more right wing than anyone in the news um, conspiracy type. I think it's just because she's gone through a lot, and she's, like, very much kind of mentally not in a great place. I'm not going to, like, judge her, but um, where she was basically gang raped by in Egypt when she was, like, reporting after the um, president stepped down, and she compares this type of behavior in Cologne to that type of behavior that happens so often in Egypt. Because and this is actually a Jerusalem Post article that kind of makes this connection, which is interesting. Um, or this kind of compares, like, the Egyptian behavior. It's a graphic article. I'm not going to read it. But, like, you can go find the Jerusalem Post article about Cologne attacks and Germany tying that to Egypt, which is interesting. Which is interesting to think that these issues that happen in Arab countries are being brought to um european countries where it's large groups of men who can then disappear into a crowd like on new year's eve that's essentially the basis of what happens in egypt so it's interesting um just to like think that these issues can be traced to arab culture and i'm not like saying that it's everyone i'm not saying that it's most i'm just saying we have to look at the facts and look at where they bring us so just putting that out there also okay this is really controversial like, this is, like, really controversial. Um, grooming gangs, I'm not going to go into it. Just look it up if you want to know more about that. Some people say that there's more who are Arab involved in this type of thing. Some people say that um, it's not, and people are just picking out the examples, cherry-picking the ones that help their case. I don't know what the answer is. I'm just putting it out there. And again, it seems like I'm, like, just shoveling everything on the migrants right now, but if you listen to the beginning of this podcast, you would know that I spend a long time talking about what the migrants go through. I'm just trying to provide all the sides so that we can then come to a nuanced conclusion. Um, okay, let's look at some crime stats from Germany quickly here. Um, violent crime from between 2014 and 2016 rose from 180 to 193,000 cases. That's a pretty big increase. Um, Number of murders increased by 14.6% between those years. Rapes rose by 8%. So that's just, like, interesting to consider. Um, and since 2014, the proportion of non-German suspects in the crime statistics, people who aren't actually German, so, like, migrants, basically, um, increased from 24% to just over 30%. Um, that's a, And that's... They're even take... You would think, oh, that should be because they're getting arrested for immigration violations. So... Um, they're, that's why they're, they're being arrested for so much more crime, so many, for their percent of the population, because they are getting arrested for immigration and things. No, they took out immigration, um, in these stats, they took out, um, any immigration related crime. So it's literally just like hard, like, like other types of crime. They're being arrested for a lot of it. And again, it's going to come down to the, um, poverty and the homelessness and, the lack of integration, the keeping of those same values. So if an issue is existent, if you kind of think of it as like a mini version of this country, if this issue is a big problem in, let's say, 
Iraq, and then you, a lot of people from that country come here, and the problem then becomes an issue here, or not here, meaning like in Europe, Western world, you have to kind of see that there's a connection there, right? And it's not saying everyone, but it's saying a problem there, problem here. Um, I'm just another point here that um, in 2017, people who were classified as, this is in Germany again, um, people classified as asylum applicants or civil refugees or illegal immigrants, they were getting arrested for 8.5% of the crime, but they only represented 2% of German population. So again, it's not saying that they're all bad. It's just saying that clearly there is um, a connection here, right? And here's a chart here of asylum seekers in national crime picture um, I'm looking at right now. And there's a bunch of bars that basically show percentage of suspects. Um, and then compared to their percent of the population, it's much higher in all these years. Let's use 2015 or let's, yeah, as the, an example, they were around, it's kind of hard to see, but it seems like they were around less than 1% of the population. Um, and then they were committing around five and a half percent of the crime. That's a lot, right? Um, if we're looking at violent crime, 10.4% of murders and 11.9% of sexual offenses, um, and there's so many more stats here. Another point that's brought up is, well, they're only committing more crime because of they're more likely to be young men because most of these migrants coming in are young men. So young men will commit more crime. So it makes sense that migrants are going to commit a lot of crime because a lot of them are young men. And then also a lot of them are poor, not employed. That also is going to cause people to be more desperate and be in situations that will lead to them committing crime. Um, so that I just say, I'm not saying it's anything to do with them inherently. I'm just saying that we're setting them up for failure. And I'm also saying that to address the root causes of what is causing that. It's a lack of integration. And it is allowing too many in that you cannot support. Right? So I'm not saying it's anything evil about them. But I am saying that if we're addressing root causes of crime, then we need to look at why they are this way. It's because we're letting too many in, we can't support them, and it's also because of there's these cultural differences that are bringing problems that exist in those countries to our country. And not when I say our country, I mean like the Western world. Let's go off of the crime increase and all that. It's like it just a lot to take in, a lot of stats, a lot of research, blah, blah, blah. Let's talk about another ramification and this just kind of like exemplifies, I love this phrase, <laughs> play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I'm way too like obsessed with that phrase. It just like exemplifies so much of political like world right now. Um, but basically, yeah, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. If you are having policies toward migration that are causing these noticeable changes in European society and causing these crises where you cannot just handle all this increase in people in your country. And then people start getting a, like more attracted and start voting more for nationalist parties who are more pro-restricting migration. Don't be shocked. Like, don't be like, how could this happen? They're all racist and evil. No, because you weren't solving problems. You were making it worse. So they said, okay, actually, let's go and look at um, this candidate who actually is saying something we kind of like about immigration. We might not like his policies on X, Y, and Z, but right now we care about, um, we care about migration. 
So we're going to vote for a politician who will support our views. So if we look at this political article, again, political is not a biased news site. I mean, it is biased. It's not biased um, right wing. It's left wing biased. But um, anyway, um, it talks about basically the most important issues that people in the EU cared about. This report isn't like loading. Like last time I had this issue, I just like linked it so that I would have it. But um, but ba- basically what the results showed was that um, in just any like any um, any source that you're going to find really from those years is going to say that immigration and terrorism um, were big concerns in these countries um, at the time because of just the, at the height of the crisis, they still remain pretty high up. Maybe not number one, but they're pretty high up. Um, Germany, um, like a poll, um, basically asked Germany, like, what's your like biggest fear right now? And um, being overwhelmed with refugees was the fourth thing, like was the fourth largest thing. Um, Merkel, so her party lost 65 seats in 2017 because of her immigration stance, because she let so many migrants in. Because if they care about this, if you want your number, if your number one issue is terrorism um, or immigration and you have, you're not, you're going to care about that number one. So if there's a candidate that you really like, you're not a nationalist per se, but you like this other candidate, but this nationalist candidate is saying things that you like because they're saying they'll, they're going to decrease migration. And that means that there's going to be less of this problem. So, of course, you're going to vote for them. So, um, the far-right alternative for Germany, AFD party, that's kind of like a nationalist party, um, that, um, like, kind of was able to get be on the rise because of this. Um, so, this BBC has a very interesting article where it basically goes country by country and shows how in each of these EU countries, um, immigration policy caused, or basically just kind of shows how the nationalism was on the rise. So we can just look at a few of them here. Um, Italy, um, there's a right-wing like nationalist party called the League that um, it, was, it wasn't like more, I'm not saying it's more successful than the mainstream parties, but it increased in popularity a lot. And a large result of that, according to this article, is because of the financial crisis and also the influx of sub-Saharan migrants from North Africa, right? They, because people see they want they want people who will do something about migration. They're frustrated, right? In 2017, the far-right alternative for Germany, that's the Nationalist Party, entered the federal parliament for the first time with 12.6% of the vote, becoming Germany's biggest opposition party. Wow, that's... So again, it's not saying that they are the number one party, but it's saying that this this kind of nationalist view, regardless of any other really major things that these people are saying, the immigration is playing a big role in why people are voting for them. Spain, um, the um, leader of this like far right Vox party, um, he was in third place in the general election. It got. Um, 52 seats doubled its amount from before that election um, in the parliament. He can go through all of them. Austria, the Freedom Party, is the only far-right party in power in Western Europe. Um, so that's another far-right kind of f- like power, nationalism kind of idea that has risen. In 2018, the anti-immigration Sweden Democrats, which would be like a right-wing party, like Democrat in the U.S. means left wing, but means right wing in Sweden, um, won 18% of the vote. 
And again, I'm not saying these are good parties. This party is very right wing, like more right wing than I would probably like be, you know, whatever. I don't know much about it, but I'm saying not saying my point is not here. Yay, this is great. Now the right is winning. It's not my point here at all. My point is just this is another ramification me to look at. It's just like interesting, just generally just interesting to consider, to examine. Um, Finland, the far right Finns party, they were narrowly, they came within 0.2% um, of being in second place um, in the in the election. I could go on. There's, oh, there's examples here. Um, let's do a couple more. Why not? Estonia, which like you wouldn't even think of as like part of this at all. The far right conservative people's party in Estonia when its first seats in, pro- in Parliament in the 2015 election. Four years later, they more than doubled that number um, and have got more than 18% of the vote. And um, its leader once said that only white people should be allowed to move to Estonia. So I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that you notice that these nationalist ideas seem attractive to people who have suffered at the hands of too much migration, either from crime or just because they see the disorganization and the chaos that has been caused by this and that they've just let too many people into the country. All right, there was an example of like in Ireland, they were just, there's a homeless crisis kind of like starting up, kind of like getting bigger in Ireland. And they were giving like houses to some migrants, but then there were people who were born in Ireland who were on the street. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take anyone in, but I'm just saying that people are suffering at the hands of this. And then they're, as a result going to feel like they they want less migration poland the far-right confederation party got 6.8 percent of the vote in poland's 2019 general election um there's just there's so many more here hungary um this is famous um like this one's very well known right in 2018 hungarian prime minister orban um he won his third term in office in a landslide victory and immigration was kind of like the main, one of the main things discussed in that election. Um, in his victory speech, he said that he's giving Hungarians the opportunity to defend themselves and to defend Hungary. And you just, you can't help but understand why that's attractive. Why even if you dis, why even if people disagree with his other policies, or even if you, I disagree with those policies, I still understand people are attracted to someone who is ready to solve the biggest problem that they've been worried about the past few years of course it makes sense you can't say that that doesn't make sense um the anti-immigrant slovenian this is in slovenia slovenian democratic party was the largest party in in the general election even though they weren't didn't get a majority but they were still the largest party um greece um there's so much um there's i could just go on and on okay greece let's do that'll be the last one um there's an anti-immigrant party nationalist party called greek solution that got 3.7 percent in greece's 2019 national election um it got 10 seats in a 300 seat parliament that makes sense um mathematically right um and now like you just i could go on but i think you get the idea that play stupid games don't solve the immigration crisis pretend it doesn't exist call people racist for calling it out win stupid prizes you're gonna see that people are going to be attracted to people who are willing to solve their problems okay time to close (laughs)
We are at two hours and 57 minutes. Wow. I think I might break this into two parts. I guess by the time this comes out, you'll know if I break it into two parts. Maybe like the facts and then like the argument, I guess. So let's close here. So when I started this with all this research like a couple weeks ago, this was not the article, not the the episode I thought I'd put out at all. I did not think I would end up with an episode like this. Not meaning I knew it was going to be long. But like I didn't know it was going to be like so... I guess inconclusive like I kind of wanted to give an answer but I think that it's so important to not just follow the talking points on either side because we've noticed a few cases here where sometimes they're both wrong if you follow the facts you follow common sense wherever it leads you and you have an open mind to end up seeing that things are much more gray and require a lot more nuance and much more discussion than people are willing to admit we have to be honest about it you know It's so obvious that mass migration to Europe is causing problems for everyone, for migrants, for Europeans. But when we hear stories of people who are just genuinely refugees, genuinely enduring immense suffering in their countries, you can't help but feeling like we have some kind of responsibility. We have to do something. So we have to have these conversations because these issues, they're going to take a lot of nuance and a lot of honesty to solve. So how do we help people who are in need as much as we can without harming our own country in the process. What is our humanitarian responsibility to help people facing war and persecution? We need to have these discussions in a nuanced and honest way and not be looking for any particular answer, but coming in with the open mind and looking to see where the facts and what solutions we can come up with, where everything leads us. So I all set out, I set out to answer all these questions that I just asked, but instead of starting off with these questions and answering them, I ended up ending with these questions because I realize that there's so much more I have to learn before I can even begin navigating these larger solutions you know and there's such complex issues they demand such maturity and sophistication to approach and it's our job just to learn that's why I wasn't giving I was giving a lot of arguments but I was also giving a lot of facts because it's our job to learn about these things that one day maybe we can be the solution and again I wanted to answer these questions but instead I think we just need to ask them genuinely, honestly. And I've never really ended before on like so inconclusively. I like tying things up, but I think that I'm ending just with a lot of questions, a lot of questions and not really many answers. And I just want you to think about all these things. So now just to end off, um, I know that I asked for questions on my last podcast And then, of course, I didn't end up getting to record that, as I said at the beginning. Um, But there is one question I want to, that I, is still relevant, that I want to bring up that's very tied into what I just said, that whole speech I just gave two seconds ago. Um, Give me a minute here. I'm just pulling up the question. And and I want to answer this question because it's just basically very relevant to what I just said, coincidentally. So this was on my last episode, and I basically um, got asked by Hadassah. Shout out to Hadassah. I'm so glad you're back. I was wondering, in faces of these kinds of injustices, what do you, th- what do you as a teen think other people our age can do about these things besides just signing petitions and the like? So I gave an answer, and that answer is everything I just said. And just to sum it up, learn. <laughs> I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I am saying that learning about the world around you researching is the most important and empowering thing that you can be doing right now of course we all want to go out and change the world 
but we need to before we can change the world we need to just educate ourselves and learn about these issues come with an open mind be willing to listen to that podcast be willing to do the research be willing to go out and explore and think things through because in order to one day make change we need to have a solid foundation for that and of course it's so tempting to just want to go change the world tomorrow but the world isn't going to change tomorrow Rome wasn't built in a day it's going to be the result of people who are honest and educated and ready to make change and not just spit back the talking point they heard on a five-minute podcast right it's about being honest and thinking things through so that leads me into one idea that I had um I had this idea um, where I wanted to give either a book suggestion or a podcast suggestion or an article suggestion because like it's not like I'm like I know all the best podcasts and all the best sources but I just think that it just ties into this idea of knowledge and educating yourself and learning I hate the term like educate yourself because like the libs use it like like you need to like educate yourself about the 500 genders like don't be like a bigot educate yourself no I'm not like that like I don't mean it like that I just like my brain went there automatically but we need to just like educate ourselves and be knowledgeable and just learn about the world around us. I was just like the other day thinking, this is not the other day, this is like a month, like a month ago maybe. And I listened to this podcast, which I'm going to suggest in two seconds. Um, it just like introduced me to a new concept I had never even thought of before. I did not know about, had no idea about. And I was just like, wow, there's so much I don't know about the world. There's so much I still have to uncover. So of course I can make changes. I can like start my podcast and I can like, sign a petition or I can be an activist like I want to go to a show an um, anti-abortion rally like that's my dream like if someone knows any anti-abortion rallies going on let me know I'll go like of course that's important but also just constantly learning is the most empowering and most crucial thing that we should we as young people should be doing right now the one day when we come into power and when we are the leaders and when gen z is fully grown which like we're already starting to see like whispers of but when we are fully the like adult generation um hopefully we can actually make changes and it's a lot to ask because people are so like brainwashed and people are so like five minute tiktok swipe 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 but i believe in us i have faith um so let me give some suggestions um just the things that i found interesting either could be from five years ago could be from two weeks ago I'm just gonna like decide what I like over popped into my head that week so I'm gonna suggest um a book I think I'm gonna think here's what I'm gonna do I think I'm gonna do a podcast episode a book <sighs> hmm I should have found this out before I'm gonna do um a book a podcast every week like or every episode um but I don't okay yeah I have an idea I'll just pick whatever comes in my head so just whatever I can think of right now I'm going to suggest um, there's the Jordan Harbinger show is fantastic. He basically just um, gets the most interesting people, like the most interesting topics, things you had never thought about before. So the episode I'm going to suggest, the one that like made me have this whole thought, um, it's called episode 833. It's with Nathan Paul Southern and Lindsay Kennedy. It's called Sourcing Cyber Slavery about like cyber slavery in Southeast Asia and when you get like those little texts with like the random sketchy Asian woman as the profile picture like there's a good chance there's a lot going on behind the scenes don't want to give away too much but I would listen to that it just like kind of ties into this idea that there's so much we don't know and so much we don't realize about the world 
Um, so I would recommend that. I would recommend reading um, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds by Michael Knowles. I recommend that book all the time. Sometimes I might recommend like a classic book. It might not be like a political book. It's just like whatever I feel like I want people to get into that. Like, I don't know. Um, I would also recommend that article I mentioned earlier about Afghanistan. If I can find that article, I'll link it. I think that would even be like a CNN article, but like CNN's international reporting is not nearly as biased as it's, there is some like whispers of it, um, but I'm not nearly as biased as their national reporting, um, so I would recommend that. So I'm going to link everything hopefully if I remember. Um, so that is, I have to say, anything else I could recommend? I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll think of something the second I turn off the microphone, but that is it. It's been so long. I didn't do this all in one day. Like, I know, like, it seems like, like, if you did the math and I said I was starting at, like, 3.30, it is not 6.30 in the morning. Don't worry. I did this in two parts. Um, right now it is 2.25 in the morning, actually. Um, I did, like, half and half. I thought, um, I predicted it was going to be four hours. Only three hours. I'm an hour short. Good job, SD. Um, I might break this into two parts, but let me just close off. So, make sure you, um, send me a question. You can either now that like Spotify has their like comment thing, you can comment on there and like leave me a question. Um, I might even put up a poll. Maybe I'll put up a poll. Um, also, I want you guys to tell me your responses to this. I genuinely want your responses. I want you to tell me what thoughts, what what ideas you gain from this. So um, you can comment on Spotify. You can text me. You can email me. Prepare to turn right podcast at gmail.com. Prepare to turn right podcast at gmail.com. You can. Um, anything but make sure you're following me guys follow me spotify for podcaster stats say that if you are following a podcast you will end up listening to four times as many episodes of that podcast guys follow me please i'm begging you send it out to your friends your aunts your uncles your cousins um your random babysitter um also um rate it five stars um unless you don't want to that's fine but like please do um what else can i say follow rate i don't i don't know what all the different buttons are yeah um also oh also i have i made a twitter account and an instagram account so i'll link those also but uh, i don't even remember the ads i forgot completely and i haven't posted anything on them yet and i don't have any followers yet but i'm going to link those so follow me there um yeah three hours and set about to be eight minutes later and bye guys thanks for listening Thanks for turning right.